Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Anna Vocino is back today, and you're going to hear a lot of laughter. We have a great time talking with each other, and there's going to be some great nuggets of insight as we talk about confidence. We talk about a confidence practice, Matt Damon playing a smaller version of ourselves judgment and getting in the way of confidence. So we talk about the things that get in the way of our own confidence. And we, I ask some probing questions as I do with Anna and we talk about her weight and confidence and there's some great nuggets there towards the end. And then I will wrap up talking about permission and how that can get in the way of confidence. So after this conversation with Anna, I'll circle back and come back to you. Thanks for listening. Confidence. Do you struggle with your confidence? Do you want to know about how you can have more confidence and what Anna and I do to get confidence? Anna Vocino is back and she's the guest, the guest co-host of How She Really Does It. And some of you may have heard Anna on the Angriest Trainer podcast with Vinny Tortorich. And Anna also blogs about gluten-free versions of comfort food from Her- Heritage at glutenfreeanna.com. And her cookbook will be coming out when, Anna? Very soon. <laughs> And so Anna and I are going to talk about confidence. So Anna, do you always feel confident? Yeah, Corinne, I always feel confident. That, that is not what you want to hear when you're listening to a podcast of somebody who like you, you're like, well, they're successful. They must always feel confident. I used, I used to think those thoughts. I used to think, oh, if you're really successful, you just have got it all together and you have never had the problems that I had. Yeah. And and that you just hit the ground running fully formed. Like Matt Damon was just always Matt Damon. Yep. Right. Um, no, I, I'm not confident all the time. I'm confident sometimes. I'm more confident than I was in my 20s. That's mm-hmm. for sure. That's the beauty of age. Mm-hmm. But, you know, confidence, I feel like is a, it's it's a training. You're training yourself. Yeah, I call it a practice. A practice. Mm-hmm. You always have better words for things. <laughs> <laughs> I, I call it a training. I don't call it anything. I just made that up. It's a practice. That's what I call it because you told me to. <laughs> <laughs> I just call things what you tell me to. <laughs> and I don't tell you to. You just like to take my words. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you for increasing my vocabulary and telling me the right words for things. Um, no, I mean, it is, it is a practice. You're right. And you don't, you don't realize that you need to practice it until you've completely played a smaller version of yourself and gone, damn it. Why did I do that? Ooh. Can you talk about when you've played a smaller version of yourself? Sure. <laughs> Cause it happens all the time, M- much less frequently, but I mean, I'm in a situation as an actor where, where I have to audition and, um, you have to make choices a lot of the times. And uh, I have learned through watering, letting my nerves water down my choices or water down my performance because I'm scared that I'll be too much. It's too much me and I need to give them what they want to see, um, which are both 
false premises for actors. You should never do either one of those. But you you go through a phase when you're figuring out you, where you do that a lot. So I have learned to still make the uh, bold choices and not let the not let my nerves water things down. However, like even this week, was it Tuesday? I went in for a Disney show and I did make a big choice. And I know that it was a great audition. And, um, but I didn't get called to the producer session. So there's a part of me that goes, was it that great of a choice? (laughs) Or were you just not right for it ultimately? You know, so there's interesting little things that you have to just kind of soothe that and move on, soothe that and move on. Do you beat yourself up about like, I'm not enough? Or can you move on without going into the beating yourself up? Uh, I didn't used to be able to do that. I used to beat myself up horribly. But no, I definitely am okay with it. Because now I know it's like I have to trust. Okay, well, self, if you did really well in that meeting or that audition or that interview or whatever you whatever that situation is where your nerves are racing. If you know you did a good job, which if you, if you're being honest with yourself and you know, you did a good job, then that's all that matters. You just keep coming back to that touch point of, I I know it did a good job. I know it was a good meeting. I didn't get the contract or I didn't get the job or I didn't get the part or whatever it is. If that didn't, if it didn't happen, it's gotta be things out of your control. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I, I liken it to uh, it's just two pieces of puzzle that didn't fit, right? It's, yeah. so it's not a bad thing. It's okay. That's You're using a corner piece for a piece that's in the middle of the puzzle and they don't fit. Mm-hmm. And when you do, I think we all know like I did my best because all we can do is control what we do. Right. And when we show up fully and if maybe you know the the casting director or whoever the people may be it didn't click for them you don't know what was going on with them you don't know were no. they were they in you know, like just the other day i was in my own shame storm and i was reading this email and i couldn't i could not i was like i don't understand i don't understand what this means you know and it took me a day and a half and keep reading it and i finally was reading it to somebody i was totally relaxed and i was like oh that's what that means. Because I was there was like two words. you were taking every single thing personally. Yep. There were two words that I couldn't see because I was so in my shame storm. So, I mean, I would imagine that people on the other side of the audition, they can be having stuff go on in their own personal lives. Sure. We're, Absolutely. They're people. Yeah. And it's isn't it interesting that we give outside people. So for you, it would be the people you're auditioning for, right? For me, it could be, I don't know, the listeners, parents, whoever in my life that I'm worried about judging me mm-hmm. and I can dim me, but I don't know what's going on with them and I can't control that. All I can do is for me to show up. You know, a girlfriend of mine recently had an interview. It was a job interview and she was like, she called me after she was like, and it's funny because it was a job she didn't really want. <laughs> which always cracks me up because then, and then she comes out of it going, Oh my God, that's like the best interview I've ever had. They loved me so much. And I was like, that's awesome. Well, that's good. You know? And and then they called her or they said, you know, if you, if we want you for a second interview, we'll call you by Friday or whatever. And then they didn't call her for the second interview. We've all had that where we're like, that was like the best thing I've ever done. And then you never hear from them. It's like, 
well, I didn't even want that stupid job. And then those people didn't want me back even after our good meeting. And I got to think to myself, there's oftentimes a, you know, a higher plan plan. Mm -hmm. And, um, but sometimes you actually do really want the thing and you do a great job and you never hear from them. And I guess the trick is that I didn't used to do in my twenties that I do now is to go, huh? Oh, well, instead of that must mean I'm bad. Mm -hmm. It's those things of what we make it mean that can become so toxic. Yeah. Instead of, okay, we're not a fit, move on. And, And the other side is, you're not rooted in what I call scarcity, thinking it's either this or nothing. It's okay, that didn't work. Move on. I'll never get another job interview again, (laughs) which is hard when, especially for anyone who's been unemployed or hasn't really beaten the drum of what they love to do for an extended period of time. So you haven't raised your expectations about it yet. Mm -hmm. If you, or let's say you just got fired and you've been like, being a writer in this town is really hard because sometimes you move from job to job to job and then sometimes you won't work. You literally won't get a job for two years, maybe more for whatever reason. How do you not let that get to your head? That's so tough. And so it's so hard to just say like, it's all right. The next one's coming when you're like, well, it's been a year and a half, is it? (laughs) Well, so that's really important is that Let's talk about that. So whether it's you or friends that you have in the industry, how do they keep that confidence when they're in, Seth Godin likes to call that the dip, right? When when things just aren't, and I think it's the dip, maybe somebody will correct me, but uh, when things just aren't moving, it's one yeah. thing when we're moving, but all of a sudden you have this, fa- this space of uncertainty. How do you keep confidence in that period of time? I wish if I had a formula for that right now, and then I could turn it into a downloadable PDF that everyone would pay a hundred dollars for, I'd be a bajillionaire. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, you know, here's the thing, and you know this because it's, it's, again, we go back to its practice, right? And what tools do we use in that moment? And what are the things that we do? And so I know for me, it's, I have to, for me, it's more about shutting down my monkey mind of, or the mind crack that you and I've talked about of all the the judgments and what do I make it mean and the toxic thoughts. And instead like, okay, what can I learn from this? And this doesn't define me, you know, all of that stuff of what, what is the fact? So if, if somebody goes through two years without a job, do they have the finances to carry them through those two years? Right. What are the facts of the situation? Um, Who are the people that they can reach out for support without it's the difference reaching out for support versus inviting. This is what I used to like to do: inviting people into the swampland to, you know, so I could pitch my tent, build oh, the yeah. campfire. Oh yeah, <laughs> let's sit around the campfire and talk Come about. Come join it. my misery, friend. <laughs> yes, how miserable it is versus wow, I'm really nervous. I feel like I believe that. I mean, I, a lot of authors worry about this too. Of okay, I've written this New York Times bestseller. Am I going to be able to show up again in the next book? Will people want my stuff? Yeah. Right. And I can do the same thing with my show. Like, okay, I've done this. What else can I do for the show for my listeners? So we can we can all do that. But what are the things? So, yeah. that, so I could have a little pity party at the campfire about it and say, oh, poor well, me. And I think the pity party is when you make the decision that just because that thing didn't work out means that you're worthless as a talent. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's the big mistake. 
when it's like, and, and I get it because I still have that tendency. If I don't get two callbacks in a row, I'm like, oh, wait, no, it's okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it, but I used to be worried like, well, maybe I'm just not cut out for this. And and we all kind of have that inner demon. And I think any sort of self-employed, freelance, creative person, entrepreneur, anybody who's working in anything even slightly alternative like that, things are, things seem so whimsical. Like, oh, I just, I got that client, but then that client went away. But they're really not once you take a closer look, but it feels like you're just blowing in the wind sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so you have, and you don't have anybody else to bounce that off of. So you go like, well, I guess I'm just a crappy writer because I didn't get that job. I guess I suck. And that's so, it's so ridiculous when you say that, but that's what you're walking around thinking. Mm-hmm. And then that, and then you wonder why you have no confidence well, and- or you feel desperate when you finally get another meeting or something, you know, well, then- that's the stuff that has to be worked on. Yeah, because I think that desperate feeling shows up. And I know for me, verbal, I'm very strong verbally. So I need to do what I call the verbal vomit of getting all that mind crack out of my head. Mm-hmm. And so knowing who is a safe person that I can share that with, where they're not going to try to fix it, where they can totally hold that space for me and be and not, not get uncomfortable because I have all this stuff. Yeah. Right. right. They can hold that space. And then I get like, as you were saying these things, like once we get it out of our head, we're, we start to laugh at ourselves. Like, really? I just said that. I don't even believe it. It's not really true. Yeah. And and we get it out and then we can go, what is really true? And where's the, and how do I get confidence? What is it that I need to do? How can I show up in my life instead of playing small, instead of yeah. being desperate? What are the facts of the situation? Well, and I think too, and this is okay. So this is why everybody says, pick three things to be grateful for. <laughs> and what's so funny is that when you're feeling so bad and your confidence is shaken, you can't really find things to be grateful for. But if you could just quiet your mind for a few minutes and kind of get some perspective, I feel like we do get very myopic with this whole mind crack thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it just because it, it gets so blown out of proportion, and we're very dramatic when we don't need to be so dramatic. I do try to remind myself of that of like maybe you like the drama a little too much. Maybe you just need to like chill out a little bit. It's not that big a deal. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I, I like fall off a cliff. <laughs> My yeah. brain, boom. <laughs> yeah, but now I've, got, I've gotten better about that. Something about turning forty, I kind of just like let that stuff kind of go. As as much as I have so far, but uh, more so, I guess. I still can fall off the cliff, but then when I think about it, I'm like, really, Corinne? Is that really going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I fall off the cliff, but again, I'd not, I used to fall off the cliff and build the campfire and pitch the tent. I don't do that anymore. And, and so yeah. it's like, okay, this is what I'm doing. And I acknowledge it with that. And I think the big thing is to not judge, like judge, judge yourself. yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a confidence killer. What do you think? There, uh, yeah, <laughs> I definitely think so. <laughs> I mean, judging yourself is possibly where there are our own harshest critics. You know what I mean? We we're not very nice to ourselves. Did we talk about kicking the puppy? I don't think so. Uh, my girlfriend said to me a while back. She said, "Every time you say something bad to yourself about yourself, it's like kicking a puppy." Would you kick a puppy? <laughs> and I was like, oh, don't kick the puppy. 
don't kick the puppy. And so for a while, that was kind of like whenever I would think something bad, I'd be like, wait a minute, I'm kicking the puppy right now. Mm-hmm. It's well, it's no good. There's literally nothing good about it. So that that is like if the listeners get anything, you know, how do you build confidence? Well, one is don't judge yourself because, and you can, you can make that choice. You can, we can say things in a nice tone. And I, I can't even remember a phrase that uh, one of my clients was using. And I was like, but you're still judging, you know, and every time we judge that triggers shame inside of us. So yeah, stop, stop, sure. stop judging. The shame erodes any confidence possibilities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if your if your reminder is kicking the puppy, that's that's one way. Um, I know Brene Brown's reminder is how, would she talk to her kids the way that she's talking to herself? And the answer is always no. Mm, you know? That's good. And my question to myself is how would I show up for my clients because I'm really good at holding compassionate space for them. Right. So you know whatever the listeners are, whatever is your reference point. We just gave you three. It's one of those, like to remind you to not to step out of judgment so that you can practice confidence. You can build your own confidence. And I think too, trying to trying to not judge yourself from a place of never having not judged yourself might feel a little foreign. And so if there's ways that you can just kind of lessen the blows a little bit, like just kind of take the pressure off. Like, yeah, okay. Maybe I, I, okay, maybe I didn't do my best in that meeting. I said that weird, I said that weird thing and I feel really weird about it. Why did I say that? Well, you know what? Who cares? People have said weirder things, I'm sure. Like if there's ways you can soften things and and understand that it's not, nothing is as urgent as you think it is. Nothing is as terrible as you think it is. I mean, unless you just are a complete a-hole, which I don't think you are, listener. I, I don't think you're a complete a-hole. <laughs> no, but I mean, we all we all think that like, oh God, why did I say that? Or, or like even like party confidence. I know some folks have party confidence issues. And um, I remember going through my sobriety experiment and then going to those Emmys parties and uh, and being like, oh, I would have like cringed at my behavior because I would have had a drink or two. And now I just realize, oh, no, I just act like that, <laughs> completely sober. Um, and, and it's okay to own it. Like, it's okay to own your stuff. Mm-hmm. It, that helps with building confidence. Oh, I just end that way. Okay, cool. Well, it's acceptance and, like, giving yourself permission to be you. Yeah. Right? So Yeah, there's that. What, so what's the worst thing that happens if you show up to an Emmy party and you're you? Right. I guess the worst thing that would happen would be the entire television industry would say, I'm a terrible person and I'm not invited to the television party anymore. Is that? (laughs) And I I guess that would be like the deep fear. The fear Mm -hmm. is what if I embarrass myself and then I never get a job, which is completely absurd because no one there knows who I am anyway. Like (laughs) they wouldn't remember. Like who cares? Weren't you that girl, the Emmy party who did that stupid thing to Tony Hale? No, they wouldn't say that because no one cares. <laughs> and in your in your industry, mm-hmm. do people who are successful never do anything that embarrasses themselves? I mean, of course, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Hollywood is like what? That's why there's so many blogs about Hollywood because all people do is embarrass themselves. <laughs> because none of us got enough attention when we were little, so we all have to embarrass ourselves so, to be validated by so, TMZ. 
Maybe you do need to embarrass yourself. <laughs> maybe I should. Maybe I should. Maybe I should work on having a little less confidence. Go out there and embarrass myself. Yeah, that. <laughs> so when we when we think about you know I think that was just a great example of the things that we think that create that make us dim ourselves, make ourselves small, play small, show up with nervous energy, or it, we're usually telling ourselves lies like you were. Yeah. We're trying to support a a belief system that doesn't serve us. Because if you could get down to the deep root, like exactly what you just said, what's the worst thing that would happen at this party? That because of your actions, what would happen? Mm Mm-hmm. I believe they would all hate me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Are you afraid of people hating you? Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, then maybe that's a root belief that you need to either work on, change, replace, blah, blah, blah. You know? Well, oh, oh, well. Oh, again, apologies. <laughs> what kind of an animal calls a landline? Actually, it's my doctor. I had a uh, lumpectomy last week. You did? It's benign. Well, that's good. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Talk about uh, confidence and beliefs and stuff. And you don't know until you get the thing out of you. Mm-hmm. But everyone said, yeah, you have this rare tumor. So get it out of you. Second opinion. Yep. It's definitely a rare tumor. You need to get it out of you. Okay. I don't think that's what it is, but okay. And... um they took it out and they're like, well, it's not the rare tumor. <laughs> it's what you thought it was. Obviously, I'm no doctor. Obviously, when they say, when two people say rare tumor, get it out, you get it out. Mm-hmm. But um, I just thought that was an interesting, uh, interesting turn of events. Well, I'm happy for you that it's benign. Oh, yeah, me too. I didn't want to, it would have been a, a radiation situation. So I did not want to, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So I'm, 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 I'm very lucky. How long did you go from um, finding it to getting it out? Oh, <laughs> it's because of my nagging girlfriends that I got it out. Because it was, I think, I had the mammogram the day after Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And then the second mammogram right after Christmas. And then the biopsy at the uh, mid-January. Mm-hmm. And then the second opinion end of January. And then I had the surgery on May 1st. Okay. <laughs> so I was like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to deal with it. It's not that. It's not a rare tumor. Mm-hmm. But then I ultimately did. And it was totally fine. By the way, and I've ha- I had another lumpectomy in 2008, and it, it was really painful to recover from. And this one was, uh, was not. So I don't know if they've improved stuff or because I had to do all that food allergy stuff and give up. I mean, I haven't been eating gluten. Gl- I haven't eaten gluten in 12 years, but I gave up dairy, eggs, and sesame that apparently were making me very sick. <laughs> and my inflammation went down by half, so that could be why the recovery was easier because I'm not as inflamed. But um, another argument for uh, going and having all your food allergies tested because there is inflammation involved if you have any sort of autoimmune or anything like that. off topic, but just saying. You've been hanging out with Vinny too long. <laughs> no, Vinny hates it because Vinny's like, Vinny thinks I've gone off the deep end. Because I'm like, yeah, you should go get tested for every single food allergy. He's like, ew, no. 
that's a pain. I'm like, no, it's a pain when your entire body's inflamed. That's a pain. <laughs> because you don't know you're making yourself sick. Um, so I meant you, you've been hanging out with Vinny too long about the, the going off topic. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I know it's really funny that I have to wrangle him because I am so not, I'm so tangential, but yet I'm tasked with the responsibility of wrangling that guy. The only man who's more tangential than I am. It's like a, it's like a circus over there. So we, before we return back to the confidence talk, I yeah. do want to follow up with it. Cause we did talk about that in a past episode about uh, the, the sesame was it sesame eggs and dairy, yeah. dairy. And you already don't do gluten and sugar. Yeah. So yeah, I'm fun. I'm fun, right? <laughs> I have added back in some some well not grains, but well, rice is a grain. I've added back in potatoes and starchy vegetables. Cause there's I mean, I'm not just gonna eat meat and green vegetables for every meal for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna do it. Mm-hmm. Have you Temper added tantrum. sweet potatoes? Absolutely. And mm-hmm. white potatoes. Mm-hmm. I mean, not a ton, but maybe mm-hmm. like once or twice a week. Or if somebody has French fries, I will reach over and maybe have six or seven fries, whereas before I wouldn't let myself touch the fries. You know what I mean? I'm kind of like, eh. so I need, to, I need to enjoy myself. Now here in May, because I think we talked about that back in February. Mm-hmm. How Now here in May, how are you feeling? I feel great. I feel much better than I ever have. Wow. So I I still haven't dropped excess pounds i still have probably have like 10 or 15 that i would like to drop but um i'm not really that worried about it okay so Um, i'm also working on thyroid stuff so it could be some of that so we'll figure that out so to to tie this all back into our topic of confidence oh yeah that um does your weight trigger any of your confidence of course of course why well, here here's another deep belief thing. Mm-hmm. If I don't weigh a certain weight, I'm not worthy as an actor. Or if I don't weigh a certain weight, I'm not worthy as a person. Which I'm sure a lot of people who have weight struggles can relate to that deep belief. Mm-hmm. And um, what does that do to confidence? Not good things. Mm-hmm. It doesn't bolster it. Um. So, you know, there's uh, doing all that belief work and replace, replacing beliefs, which we talked about off the air and we can talk about in a future episode when mm-hmm. we're ready. Um, I, I, that's what I'm working on. Mm-hmm. And part of it is that I, I think I talked about this last episode, that intuitive eating book. Mm-hmm. I've had her on, Elise Reich. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. I got to listen to that episode. I love I've been listening to it on audiobook mm-hmm. and I love it so much because it's, she's it's freeing up a lot. Well, she's down in she's down in your neck of the woods, and she oh, works with she? a lot of people. Elise does. Uh, she works with a lot of people in your industry, mm. right? Because there's so much. I, I would think, imagine conditioning and you know again prison walls. And I and she, I just love her. She's very gentle, very compassionate. Um, so it's really interesting. So if I don't if I don't weigh a certain amount uh, or certain weight. I'm not worthy as an actor. Right. As in, as in, as if your weight is tied into your Mm self-worth, which I think it is for a lot of folks, Mm -hmm. a lot of women for sure. Mm -hmm. Because I can relate to the ladies. Mm -hmm. No, I I think it's, I mean, we've, we've all been programmed with that. And then you're in an industry where it can really be Mm -hmm. in your face now. But my question for you is, is that has it, aren't you busy as an actor? Yeah. (laughs) 
I know. I know there's no logic to it. And I mean, who knows? Maybe there have been jobs where it's gotten in the way, but I wouldn't know that because they would never say that to my face. So therefore, mm-hmm. I have made this up. Mm-hmm. I have created it. So how much longer do you want to believe that lie? I'm not. I'm not anymore. That's the thing. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing that I have moved past, which is really oh, okay. nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying like that, that, was a, that was a big deal for a while, especially, you know, in my, in my mid-30s when I kind of just in one year packed on 15 and didn't really know why. Mm-hmm. So how do you have confidence? Because you said earlier you still have probably 10 to 15 pounds. And mm-hmm. so many people will think, oh, I will have confidence once I lose those 10 to 15 pounds. Right. And how that do, doesn't work. Mm-hmm. How do you, so how do you have confidence now without being where it is that you well, want to be? There's, there's been a lot of work with the belief replacing. There's been a lot of work with remembering, oh, yeah, no, I'm, I still feel really beautiful. So who cares? Um, part of it is just the wisdom that comes along with age. And that you want to enjoy yourself. And also, I, I have a friend of mine who's 10 years older than me. And she said to me about eight years ago, you're never going to look as young as you do right now. <laughs> and for some reason, that always stuck with me. And I was talking with my husband who doesn't like to appear in pictures as of late, as of maybe like the past five years, because he doesn't like the aging thing. And I'm like, I don't care. My mom just passed in October and I've been having a hard time finding pictures of her because mm-hmm. she didn't want to get in pictures. And I was like, I don't care. Everyone's getting in pictures because I don't want Lucy to not have pictures of you at age 40 because you think that you're too old to appear on camera. That's ridiculous. And then the other part of me that bolsters it up is that I want to be on camera because I don't see a lot of women who are built like me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I kind of want to go and be a role model for that mm-hmm. and own it because there are a lot of women in the world who look like me, but not a lot of them are on TV. Mm-hmm. I mean, I see the, the ones with the curves, the ones with the meat on their bones. Uh, oh, here's a good one. Here's a really good one. Uh, so, uh, so I guess if I were like, Trying to look at a, I, I look for bodies that look like mine, like Christina Hendricks to me. Body, I'm talking body, not mm-hmm. face. <laughs> I'm talking body. She is. She's got the boobs. She's got the hips. She's got the butt, and uh, I can. That's what I feel like I look like. And um, and it's funny because I remember looking her up on the internet one time, and all these people were like, "She's unhealthy," and I was like, "No, she's not." She's, she's gorgeous. Are you kidding me? And uh, it, it was really interesting. So there's all that noise. But then... Okay, so stop. I had to Google okay. who, she, who she is. So explain to the audience. Oh, Christina Hendricks it plays Joan from Mad Men, the redhead from Thank Mad you. Men, the bombshell. Um, and she is... so When you see her in interviews, people ask her. They outright ask her about have, carrying around extra weight. And she just said... And she has gigantic boobs. And when you're wearing these vintage clothes, it's, and they put on Mad Men, they wardrobe them in down, down to the foundations. Like, so their underwear, their slip, their girdle, their bra is all vintage from the time period. So she's dressed in that. I mean, she is stacked. She looks great. And it's, she's mistletits. And, um, so, but people, which I always think is so funny that 
anyone would interview somebody and ask them about their weight, but whatever. And she has said, I just always thought I was, I've always thought my curves were awesome. Like I've never, she never really thought that for any of it was bad. And, um, and I was like, whoa, that's a program you don't hear from women very often. Mm -hmm. She should be a role model and everyone should, should, uh, read that interview. Um, but here's another one. So Amy Schumer is who I think right now is one of the most forward thinking feminist comic voices out there. I don't know if you guys watch the show inside Amy Schumer. It's to me brilliant. And she, this past week, the episode, the entire episode, she had this star studded cast and they did a spoof, uh, a 22 minute spoof of 12 angry men, but they were deciding if Amy Schumer was hot enough to be on television. That was the debate that the, you know, the big jury debate in 12 angry men. And it had John Hawks. It had Paul Giamatti, uh, Vincent Carthizer, Jeff Goldblum. Like it had an amazing cast in there and all in black and white. And, um, and they were saying, and they were kept giving arguments about why she's hot enough or not hot enough to be on television. And then the future of her career would be decided by this jury. And, um, she, at one point, Paul Giamatti said, but she's, she's too big. She's too big. And they said, well, she's only a size six. And I remember thinking in my head going, oh God, if she's a size six and I'm a size 10, you know what I mean? And that, mm-hmm. that thing flared up in me because I'm constantly looking for people I can compare myself to because I can hope if they, if they did it, they have their own show. I can do it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I had to like take a look at that and go, it's okay. You know, (laughs) because I was like, oh, she's a size six and she's considered too big. Mm -hmm. That's their argument. That's the joke that they're doing. And then I was like, calm down, calm down. And it it was fine, but uh, it was just something to point out Mm -hmm. where it could still flare up. It sounds like what, the thing that you look for is what we kind of all look for is that in Kristen Neff, who's the self-compassion researcher at University of Texas, she calls it common humanity. And that's one of the elements of self-compassion is this common humanity that we can, we, there are other people like us. We're not in this yeah. alone. And so that, you know, by you looking for people that are like you, especially in an industry that, you know, ha- depicts a woman's image to be a certain size, right, right, mm-hmm. um, becomes really important. And then you're right, it does allow for the audience to go, hey, they're more like me, mm-hmm. instead of this fictitious. I mean, you know, I, I think we've talked about it before. I compared my parenting of my blended family to the Brady Bunch. Mm-hmm. That is a way to create a lot of pain and suffering <laughs> and mind crack. Because where you're sitting there going, oh, I'm no Carol Brady. I'm no Carol Brady. My house is not immaculate. I don't have Alice. And my husband is not home that often because he works a lot, unlike Mike Brady. And we have bigger. That's so funny. And we have bigger problems than Marsha getting her hit in the face with the football. Right. Right. But for so long, that's what I was comparing our lives to instead of, okay, well, well, what does what does a real life family look like? And, you know, and um, so that uh, that's that common humanity piece again. That can really. Yeah, that's really good. That, well, that's what it is then. Mm-hmm. 
That's what you look for. And that's that's who you can represent is that connection with the audience Yeah. that instead of looking at, oh, here's this person, here's Angelina Jolie, right? right. Who's on this side of the bell curve and we can't resonate with that. How can we connect? Where's that connection piece that we want? Um, I, gosh, where is that connection piece? And I feel like, I just have this thing in my heart that I know that I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna be a, a role model for the real women out there. There you go. Does, so does that help give you confidence? Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does because it makes me go get over it. Just get get over it and get on television. Because there was a little while after I, I think I've mentioned this before, but after my series was canceled and it was around 2009 2010, I, I went into a pretty deep funk. And I just, I felt like because that series didn't go, I didn't have the strength or energy to believe in myself to get back on the horse. And I got, I crushed my confidence for a a while. However, I had this nice backup plan called voiceover. Mm -hmm. And so it it wasn't even, it was just funny because it was just like, it just... It worked out just fine. Everything's fine. But um, but I do wish I hadn't gotten so down on myself because I wasted some time there. You you were you had pitched your tent and live, you were living in the swamplands with the campfire. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't like the swamplands. I don't recommend buying real estate there. <laughs> but so I what I want Not the, a good place. the listeners to take away from this or I invite them to take away is that it becomes a choice. I mean, we we're gonna get crushed and our emotions are gonna get hurt. We're gonna our shame triggers are gonna happen. But then what do you choose? Because we can choose to judge ourselves and beat the right. crap out of ourselves, or we can choose to be self-compassionate. And it's not easy to do, especially if this is a new way and this is like new neural pathways, but it comes down to a choice. You know, right. It's like we can choose to go, oh my gosh, see, I'm not enough. I'm not worthy for this casting or for this job or for this relationship. Or she's skinny. She's more worthy. <laughs> I mean, and maybe she is if the part is for skinny lady. Duh. <laughs> She may, and I go back to it's not worthy because I don't believe that there's any prerequisites for worthiness. Right. Right. That's the thing that you're just just worthy. You are just worthy. And that's taken me a long time because I really grew up with that belief of you just have to work hard and you have to prove it, you know. And that's where I call myself that approval whore that I'm recovering. And I still like to go back, just like I like to visit the swampland. (laughs) All of a sudden, I'll be like, whoa, catching myself into that approval whoring, which is a hustling energy. Dude, that's so true. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a fine line. Like if you could hustle without having to approve a whore, you'd probably get a lot more done with a lot less uh, emotional energy wrapped up in it. So here's the question. Is it hustling or is it just showing up as you? Just showing up as you. Right. Because if the worst thing that happens is that there are people that don't like you, isn't that great? Because now you don't have to worry. Like it cleans out some of the clutter. <laughs> It's like the outfit that no longer fits or has holes in it, throw it out because now you have less in that space filling it up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, cause I think about, you know, I don't like, I was the girl in fifth grade who got the note. I think I told you about this in school. Oh, the note. Yeah. The note who hates Corinne. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So my 42 year old self still has trauma about it. But so it's not that I like people to not hate, to, to hate me. 
It's not that I enjoy that. But at the other side is that once you do know who doesn't like you, that's great because then you don't have to worry about, well, I've spent a lot of time trying to convert those people. But when you I get- I was going to say, my, my, fifth, my sixth grade self who went through the same thing was like, wow, I spent a lot of time trying to get the people who hate me to like me. Yeah. And now I don't. It's like, who are the people that I feel really good around and that I want to be around? So, and, and not worrying so much about the people who hate me, even, even in work, like, so if people hate us on the show, they're going to, there's other shows. Right. And that's okay. Well, and the other thing too, I guess now (laughs) the older I've gotten, the less I even think that anyone hates me because I don't hate anybody. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm just like, there's no, that kind of thing is less flared up because I realize no, we're just adults and we just focus on what we want to focus on. Mm-hmm. Just because someone's not focused on me doesn't mean they hate me and I'm unworthy. Just They're just focused on something else, just like I focus on other things mm-hmm. and don't focus on everybody. Because if I were to focus on everybody, I would go insane. If If my focus were as unfocused as my Facebook feed... <laughs> my news feed like I don't even know I don't even know most of these people on Facebook. I have no idea I'm trying to like find the people that I actually know so I can keep up with them but now I just kind of just don't go to Facebook anymore because I'm like ah yeah no I've 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 really kind of gone away from Facebook because there's just so much and then it's not even the people I'm friends with it's my friends who like stuff and I'm and I look through my feed and go who are these people I don't know and it just that, it, exactly yeah, yeah. So I've actually been playing with Twitter and I'm kind of having fun with that. So. Twitter's fun. <laughs> but Twitter's also a lot of noise too. Uh-huh. I, I highly suggest either making a list or just only going on it when you're feeling really in a good mood. Because the other night I went on because my girlfriend texted me. She's like, you know, OMG, so-and-so's feed. It's all retweets. And and I thought that was funny coming from my friend because she's just learning how to use social media. And I was like, good, I, I, I taught her well. Don't do a whole feed of retweets. Don't retweet every single freaking thing that everybody says to you because you're going to alienate the people who do follow you. You know what I mean? You have to walk that line, right? And sure enough, I go to this girl's feed. And I'm like, oh, gosh, why is she doing that? It's so – I know why she's doing it. She's She wants to say thank you to everybody who says some – tweets something nice at her. Mm-hmm. And so I get where it's coming from. But I'm like, don't do that because you're going to make people unfollow you. And I always say this too. Like every time I tweet, it's like a reminder to people, oh, yeah, I need to unfollow her <laughs> <laughs> because I lose followers. <laughs> and – um uh, but you know, that's fine. I don't care about that. But it, it's, uh, it was interesting to see, see the whole thing and then be like, what is it? And then, so I went to my main Twitter feed to see what was going on. And it was so, it was just like self-promotion, self-promotion. And I follow like 700 people, which is my first mistake, I guess. But I don't know. I want to see what's going on in the world. And, um, seeing how much it's just all self-promotion and noise. And the only per I I probably read for about 10 minutes straight. So that was several, several minutes of scrolling down through the Twitter feed. And the only person who bothered to make me laugh was Patton Oswalt. And I was like, how come everybody's just self-promoting? Nobody's doing anything clever or interesting or it's all Mm -hmm. like, look at my video, watch my thing. My thing's on right now. Mm -hmm. And, and no one's adding to a conversation. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think Twitter, I don't know, I hope it gets back to that place where we're having a conversation again with some self-promotion mixed in, which is fine. Everyone needs to self-promote, but not all the time. Jeez. 
There's you know, my rant. Here's what I think about the the conversation piece that again for people without the confidence, like when we talk about confidence, is if you like a listener here were to have that conversation with Anna, it'd be like, well, what if I reach out to her and she ignores me? And I mm. think that's one of the things that gets in the way of the conversation, that connection, because it's like maybe I won't be big enough. Cause mm. I, you know, like I know there are people that I won't even just tweet and have a conversation because that now that's a public of I'm putting myself out there that's and true. I might get ignored. I get that. Yeah. I, I know I've definitely hesitated to do, to do it, but I will say when I log on to Twitter and I've heard that this is the wrong thing to do, I almost always just look at my at notifications and I respond to almost everybody. Mm-hmm. I at least, you know what I mean? And I'll, mm-hmm. I'll favorite and or I'll respond because I like talking to people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I like having a, a dialogue about it. And, yeah. and also too, the other thing is like, you'd be surprised Sometimes people don't see things, but sometimes they do. Sometimes they're just on at the right time to see something. Mm-hmm. Now, somebody like me, I'm going to see everything because I don't have <laughs> that much interaction. But like every now and then, you know, and and it's fun to do that. And I think that's what it's there for. To Because if you're going to be on Twitter and even if you have a million followers, you're making yourself accessible to all the people who are following you. It doesn't mean you have to respond to every single person. And of course, you're going to have all these crazies out there, but it, you're making yourself accessible. So don't not ever respond because mm-hmm. it's the whole point is to interact with people, your fans, with people, with people. Yeah, it's about that ability to connect. All right. So as we wrap up this confidence thing, because I know you've got a call coming up. So as we wrap up this confidence thing, it's just a practice. Yep. And there's not one specific thing. You but it's, catch it moment by moment and tweak it and finesse it moment by moment. That's it. And wouldn't you say it's about like when we talk about that two years of, you know, being unemployed or it could be two years of not being in a relationship with somebody and thinking. Yeah, that's another one. It's That's it's a big one where people can drop confidence. Yeah. So it's really about not allowing yourself to live there and then finding different ways to help yourself with the confidence. And I loved how you talked about even like your example with your weight. Not that I'm trying to talk about your weight, but your example with your weight, I think. Is you a, always talk about my weight. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> is, is a tangible one because you can have confidence now, but it doesn't mean that you're not doing things to try to change that. Yeah. Right. But it's not, you're not trying to change it to have the confidence. You have the confidence now, but you want to get your body to be more aligned with how you feel. Yeah, absolutely. And that I think is the big difference because so often people chase the weight loss for the confidence. You have it. And now it's, it's, but it's, so you're rooted in confidence and then you're taking these actions. Well, and then the inspiration for the actions come. And I got to say, as far as like inspiration to exercise or inspiration to eat well, the whole process of giving up sugars and grains for a long time, and I really don't have sugar hardly at all anymore. Um, and every now and then, like I said, I've I've added back some white rice, some potatoes, and not every day. But uh, but I gotta say, changing how I ate, getting like the big processed foods out, it also it stopped the calorie in calorie out crazy train that i was doing mm-hmm. and the and the bank mentality of 
well, if I exercise, then I can eat 350 more calories because I hiked for an hour and that's the equivalent of 350 calories. And blah, 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 blah. Um, so that definitely frees up a lot of headspace mm-hmm. to not have to deal with that stuff. And, and then I'm inspired to exercise just because it feels good. And I've turned into one of those a-holes <laughs> who says I exercise because it feels good because it does. <laughs> and that is a good, confident place to be in. This morning, I had gotten up, I don't know, the alarm, I, I woke up at before five. And I wasn't planning. I was planning on getting up at six. But I got up before five because my husband got up. That's why the alarm went off because he had to go to work. And and I just said, well, I might as well just go work, get my workout done. And then I'll have more time this morning. So I went to go work out. I came home. I took a shower. I was like, oh, my gosh. I don't know what time it was. Six, six thirty. I was like, I've turned into one of those people. My bed is made. <laughs> right. My workout's done. I'm getting some work done. And it it I it came this way because I was rooted. I call it wholeheartedness or confidence, but it wasn't this like, I wasn't, if I, if I was doing this because I needed to do this to prove my worthiness or I was good enough, right? I'd be rooted in shame and mm-hmm. then I wouldn't have done it. That's when I was staying in bed. So I've turned into one of those people as well. Yeah, I, I had that realization <laughs> about three or four years ago when I went for a three mile run in the bitter cold in DC on Christmas morning and then also flossed my teeth. And I was like, I have gone for a run and flossed my teeth before we've even opened presents. That means I've turned into one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Anna, thank you so much for coming and talking thank about you. confidence. We always have a good time. We do. All right. So it's time to circle back and we go through this confidence bit. Because one, as we started out in the show... We don't all have confidence and there may be some parts of your life where you have a lot of confidence. And really, I want you to dig deep into that. Usually we have confidence because it's something we've practiced over and over again, or we don't even have the stories that get in the way of what we don't know. So sometimes we can have confidence because we don't know. And I think of it as the little boy who believes he can fly and he jumps off the couch and he can fly. He doesn't have not have confidence. He has the confidence that he can fly. And then he has some evidence he can fly, maybe for half a second, but he can fly. And until we come in and start to program and condition our kids about what they're capable of, that's one of the things that can get in the way of our confidence. You know, the messages that people tell us, the things that they say, and they can become part of our shame gremlin. So paying attention to that, the stories like Anna was talking about with, oh, if I go to the Emmy party and really show up as me, I'm going to make a fool of myself and everybody will hate me when realizing that her industry is very well known for people making fools of themselves and they still get jobs. So really coming down to what, letting go of those stories that we have that can create prison walls and really dim our light. And when we talk about playing big here on the show, it's not about being on Good Morning America or the Today Show or... best friends with Oprah on Super Soul Sunday. It's about how do you show up in your life? How do you show up authentically, wholeheartedly in your marriage, in your partnerships, in your workplace, in your parenting, instead of hiding away and saying, oh, this this is what happened to me, but I'm not going to share about it. Not having the confidence to do that. So when we talk about playing big, again, it's not sometimes playing big. People think, oh, it's about, you know, I need to have these huge numbers. And you know, with this show, that's never what it's about. It's, it's about how do you show up in your life? It's not about becoming famous. Playing big is not about becoming famous. And just like we've talked about on the show about what is success, 
What is playing big for you? Getting really clear. Is that something you want? How do you play big in your life? For me, it's about how do I show up authentically? How do I let myself be seen instead of dim away or hide away? And then when I hide, as you know from the show, I decide to fall off the cliff and then go pitch a tent, build a campfire, and invite people to come and hang out with me. I'm not so good about the inviting anymore, but I will, I will fall off the cliff and then I'm like, oh, here I'm in the swamplands. That's not something, store fondling my swamplands is not something that's going to help me build confidence. And the other area is the judgment. Having judgment against ourselves, judging ourselves is one of the things that gets in the way of our own confidence. So catching that judgment, catching that self-hatred, or like Anna said, it's like kicking a puppy. She wouldn't do that. So how would you treat something that you love and care about so much? And then practice treating yourself. You have that skill set within you. So it's about incorporating that part of you back to yourself so that you don't have judgment. Doesn't mean that you don't own your story and maybe change something that you did and make it better. Or, you know, maybe you decide that this is no longer something you want to be a part of, and that's okay too. But having confidence instead of beating yourself so we don't have confidence. And I loved how we talked about the being rooted in confidence with Anna's weight. So she's confident now, even though you heard her say, I still need to lose 10 to 15 pounds. And here are these food things that I'm learning about my body that have autoimmune uh, triggers and they cause inflammation for herself. So it's she's doing a version of what's called healthy striving. and But it's rooted in this confidence and compassion versus the self-hatred. Like she's very clean about, I don't eat gluten. It's not from a deprivation place. It's not from a scarcity place. She just knows her body does not react well with it and she feels better. So being rooted in confidence and then saying, okay, I still want my outsides to match how I feel energetically, emotionally, and what are the things that I need to do or want to do to do this? And like she talked about with exercise, she's become one of those people. So Often we want to, we think that this outcome is going to give us what we want, happiness, confidence, security, safety, financial rewards. But it's really about being in the moment and having the confidence now and then going about practicing and getting you, you know, taking action from that place of confidence so that you can create and make those choices every day. So when you're in that place of confidence and you notice a judgment, you go, oh, there's that judge or friend of mine that likes to show up. And we all have it. There's nothing, There's. it's not that any one of us doesn't have it. We all have it. It's just in parts. Even the people who seem to be really confident, sometimes they can put that out, but they have an area that can be a trigger for them. I know because I work with a lot of really successful people who perceptually you would never think they have struggled with this confidence, but it's there. You just may, They may have practiced certain areas really, really well. So it they don't have a problem with the confidence there because they are, for me, going into the pool, I know I can jump into a pool and swim. It may not be as pretty now as it was 20 years ago, but I'm very confident. I have, I don't know, tens, 20, thousands of hours of swimming. So I have a lot of confidence in that. And then I want to end up with permission Because the other part of confidence is that if we are seeking permission from other people, that can get in the, and thinking, oh, once I get their permission, I'm going to have confidence. We give our power away. So it's really about letting go of that permission that we need from others. Like, oh, what Anna was doing at the Emmy parties, I'm not going to be who I am because I need to get their permission that they like me. 
because if they really saw me, they might not like me. Letting go of the permission. I'm constantly reminding myself, don't you don't need permission, Corinne. Show up. Is it authentically you? What do you need to tweak? What is it? How did that feel after you went through that experience? Were you staying grounded in you or were you trying to hustle for your worthiness? And so it's that being aware and mindful, and I'm not mindful 24-7, that would be exhausting, but it's about that checking in, especially for the things that are new. I'm confident as a driver day to day, and I don't have to be as mindful about it. And um, I'm confident now very much so about making coffee. And sometimes I'm like, oh, it doesn't taste so good. But most of the time I'm confident with that. So I'm not even interested in the permission of others. So letting go of permission. One of the things that Anna spoke so authentically today was confidence and the triggers when the space is quite big. And if you're ready, I'm here to help you practice confidence and not get overtaken in the swampland. Go to How She Really Does It to sign up for my weekly newsletter to get insights and updates for future episodes so you never have to worry about missing a show and info about working with me. Special thanks to Anna for sharing her story and laughter with us today. And if you like what you're hearing, please let me know by heading over to iTunes. Leave a rating or a comment there. It's time to do a shout out to Care22. And I believe I know who this is because we went, spent some time emailing back and forth. He didn't know how to do an iTunes review, and but he wanted to drop me an email. And then I asked him to and he wound up figuring out how to do it. And I appreciate his efforts in doing that. So thank you so much because it really does help the show and it helps so that other people can find out is this worthwhile for their time. Plus it makes it in something of the iTunes algorithms, which is way over my technical head. By leaving an iTunes review, it helps with the algorithms and showcase the show to other people so that they can come and be a part of our community. There are directions on the show's notes about what to click to write a review, all the different buttons and steps. It's too long to leave. Until next time, I'm smiling big for you. And if you're ready, I'm here. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wild.